This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. The richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Tuman Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Listen to all episodes of Tomb and Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we're going to start today's episode with a discovery. In 2007, a snorkeler off the southern coast of the Dominican Republic stumbled across a group of sunken cannons and immediately alerted Dominican officials, who in turn contacted a team of underwater archaeologists at Indiana University that had been doing research in the area for several years. So when the Indiana team checked it out, they realized that it wasn't just a bunch of cannons down there. It was the wreckage of a ship and not just any ship. Because of the location of the find and the arrangement of the cannons, the Indiana researchers believed that they'd found the remains of the Cara Merchant, which is sometimes also called the Quitta Merchant, a ship once belonging to a 17th century pirate of notorious repute, Captain William Kidd. So this find was obviously significant, not just because of its connection to a pirate, but because of the legend of this particular pirate's supposed lost treasure that's circulated throughout the years. It's a legend that started up around the time of Kidd's death in 1701 and persisted in the following centuries. The legend, of course, has been the motivation behind numerous treasure hunts throughout the years, from America's eastern seaboard to the Caribbean to Madagascar to Asia. In fact, Barry Clifford, who discovered the remains of the Wida, once said, quote, everyone who has ever walked a beach from the Dominican Republic to Maine has looked for the pirate treasure of Captain Kidd. It's even inspired works of literature from Daniel Defoe's pirate writings to Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island and Poe's story, The Gold Bug. But over the last century or so, historians have debated not only the existence of and the extent of this lost treasure, but whether Kidd was ever really a pirate at (gasps) all. Crushing. Yeah, I mean, some believe that he acted only as a privateer who is a person legitimately hired by a government to attack enemy ships. So basically, kind of a pirate catcher or a wartime. A legitimate pirate? Sort of, yeah. So we're going to take a look at what's known about Kid's life and how exactly his adventures on the high seas went down to try to see how likely either of these scenarios are. It's sort of tough, though, looking for any pirate tendencies in Kid's (laughs) early life because not a lot is really known about his youth. He's believed to have been the son of a Presbyterian minister born in 1645 in Greenock, Scotland. 
Scotland. So a biographical article about Kidd by Richard Means suggests that it might have been because his father's death and his mother's subsequent remarriage. Other sources suggest that maybe it was just because he grew up in a port town and had pretty easy access to the sailor's life. But either way, it seems that Kidd left home and took to the sea at a pretty early age. And according to the Encyclopedia of World Biography, though, the first verifiable record of him doesn't pop up until about 1689, when Kidd was already 44 years old. So there's a lot of lost years in there. At that time, he was a member of a French-English pirate crew in the Caribbean that mutinied, ditched their captain, and went to the island of Nevis, an English colony. While they were there, they renamed the ship the Blessed William, and Kidd was made captain, either by a vote or by the governor of the colony, and they started working as legitimate privateers for the governor of Nevis. France and England were at war at the time, so the Blessed William's job was to attack French ships, and their payment was basically whatever spoils they got from those ships that they attacked. Soon, though, Kidd decided that he would join in to help the Royal Navy in a sea battle with French warships. And, of course, that meant there isn't a lot of treasure on a warship, and it means there's a lot of danger fighting one. So Kidd's crew wasn't too happy about the situation. And so, led by a guy named Robert Culliford, the Blessed William's crew mutinied after the battle, and they stole the ship and sailed off to the pirate's life. And the governor of Nevis gave Kidd a French ship to use, and Kidd took off. And perhaps at first he was intending to hunt down his mutinous crew and punish them, but ultimately he decided to set a course for a very different destination. That was New York. And Kidd reached New York, which was also a British colony at the time, in 1691. And while there, his life took a very different turn. He met an English woman named Sarah Bradley Cox Ort, who was married to a very wealthy man named John Ort. John Ort died that year, apparently somewhat mysteriously. Mm. Kidd and Sarah applied for a marriage license just a couple of days later and were married just a few days after that. According to the Encyclopedia of World Biography, some historians think Kidd might have even killed John Ort, maybe even with Sarah's help. The timeline is certainly a little suspicious Can't trust those Sarahs. (laughs) Oh, no. So (laughs) regardless, though, any suspicions, (laughs) I haven't haven't done anything. Don't look at me, Dublina. Okay, so, but regardless, any suspicions that anyone may have had at the time about Kidd or Sarah didn't really seem to affect them, and they did set up a very nice, comfortable life together. Sarah had actually been married twice before Kidd, so she brought a lot of wealth to the table, and when they were married, Kidd basically had control over all of that, including a number of business interests along the waterfront, and he became the father to Sarah's two daughters, so a very different life for him. Right. Suddenly, it's this former sailor who has become rich, a New York business mogul living in a stately home with his wife and kids. So it sounds like a pretty sweet setup. But kids still wanted more, or something a little different at least. The sea still called to him. He still had the urge to do some privateering. And according to Encyclopedia Britannica, even while living in New York, Kid would get called upon from time to time because of his background as a seaman to get rid of enemy privateers on the New York and Massachusetts coasts. But in 1695, he and his friend Robert Livingston hatched a bigger and potentially more profitable plan. 
pirates in the Indian Ocean and other areas were always interfering around this time with English shipping traffic. And Kidd could sail potentially around pirate-infested waters and attack pirate ships, apprehending pirates and the loot that they'd taken from other ships. So it would be profitable and adventurous. First, though, Kidd needed some investors and, of course, some sort of official backing. Otherwise, he'd just be another pirate. So traveling to London that year, he got both of the things he was looking for, and in a very big way, too. A group of key people supported Kidd's plan. The Earl of Belmont, who was the newly nominated governor of Massachusetts, Sir John Summers, who was the Duke of Shrewsbury, and the Baron of Romney, the Earl of Orford, all prominent members of the Whig political party. But there was somebody else who was in the mix, somebody who really lended a certain cachet to this whole project, none other than the king himself, William III. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to change makers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking And they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show. And I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives. We tell our stories. We try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can. And we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Kidd's mission was essentially a privateering expedition. He'd be attacking enemy French ships again, but it was sort of privateering with a special twist. He'd also be hunting down pirate ships who were causing trouble for England, as he had originally planned. Any booty that Kidd happened to confiscate from pirate ships would be divided up among his investors. And according to an article by Eric Mills in Naval History, even the king would be taking a 10% cut of whatever pirate loot they got. So this sounds a little morally questionable, doesn't it? It does. And, I mean, we should point it out because you might think, okay, hunting pirates doesn't sound so bad, right? That sounds like a legitimate thing to do in any case. But the sketchy thing to point out about this plan here is that Kidd and his investors were technically proposing stealing stolen stuff and then claiming said stolen stuff as their own instead of just turning it over to the government or something. Mm -hmm. So thanks to that influential group, though, behind him, Kidd was able to set sail in a 34-gun ship called the Adventure Galley with an official commission, complete with a new Great Seal of England patent, and 
all of those things just granted his mission legitimacy. So even with the official paperwork, though, and the powerful backers, including the king himself, Kidd and his adventure galley had some trouble right from the start. So he set sail in April of 1696 with about a 70 to 80-man crew, and he had plans to pick up about 80 more men when he was in New York. But he got into trouble before he even got out of the Thames. Yeah, first off, he passed a Royal Navy ship without dipping his colors, which was a really important custom at the time to show deference to a Navy vessel. So not doing so was a real sign of disrespect. And who knows why he failed to do this, if it was just an accident. Out of practice. Right, or (laughs) perhaps he just thought that he didn't need to because he had such important backers. The Navy vessel in either case, responded by sending a cannonball in their direction. (laughs) And according to Mill's article, Kidd's crew then responded to that by, quote, turning around and slapping their backsides at the Navy vessel. This is kind of the early version of road rage, I think. (laughs) This encounter, though, led to the Navy taking away 20 of Kidd's best men. And when Kidd complained about it, the Navy gave him back 20 men, but not the good ones that they had taken. They brought him a bunch of no-good, troublemaker types. And Kidd didn't really fare much better in the crew department when he made it to New York either, because New York also had its share for -for good-for-nothing pirate types hanging around about this time. And these were the type of recruits that Kidd was able to get, not top quality guys. And according to Mill's article, again, Governor Benjamin Fletcher called these men, described them as, quote, men of desperate fortunes. By the time the adventure galley made it out to the Indian Ocean by early 1697, they'd lost about 30 more crewmen to illness, and they had to replace those guys with former pirate crew members that they picked up at various ports of call in the area. These were basically the only sailors that were hanging around were people who had worked on pirate ships. So the adventure galley had a bit of a motley crew going on, but for a long time, kids biggest problem wasn't really that. It was just that he couldn't find any ships to attack. And this in turn made his crew really restless and unhappy because they hadn't taken any loot and they were running out of supplies. So Kid really started to get desperate. Desperate enough to become a pirate, perhaps. Well, we're going to see. So according to the Encyclopedia of World Biography, it's unclear whether Kidd really intended from the beginning to stick to the plan of only attacking England's enemies. But other sources, including Mill's article, suggest that he proved as much on certain occasions. So, for example, on August 14th, 1697, he started to attack what appeared to be a mogul convoy. Um, it was kind of a, a sketchy attack of his because he attacked flying a crimson flag, which was basically a sign of piracy and meant surrender no quarter. But the convoy's English captain hoisted the colors of the East India Company, and so Kidd backed off. But his crew wasn't really happy with that move. No, they were ready for something to happen. Ready for some action. That October 30th, Kidd got into an argument with a crew member named William Moore, who was unhappy that the captain would only attack non-English ships. He was still supposedly trying to keep within the original parameters of his mission at this time. So during their fight, Kidd ended up picking up a bucket and smashing it over Moore's head, and Moore died the next day from the wounds that he got from that encounter. And it's after this point that sources really start to diverge a lot over the point of whether Kidd really took to outright piracy. 
uh, just a few examples of different things that people put out there. According to the Encyclopedia of World Biography, Kidd considered any ship that came across fair game after this because he really wanted to regain the respect of his crew. I mean, murdering a crew member, even if accidentally, isn't the best way to win more support. So he really had something he to prove. He knew they needed to, to be put to work quickly. Right. And according to Mean's biography, Kidd set out still trying to find enemy friendships, and he captured what he thought was an enemy friendship, the Ruparel, that November. The ship's Dutch captain, though, told him that they were under the command of the East India Company, but Kidd commandeered the ship anyway. So, you know, kind of a... A murky ground there with that one. Right. Now, other sources don't really indicate that he ever changed his intent to stick to his commission, his original plan of only attacking French ships and pirate ships. Regardless, one thing that they can all agree on is that in January of 1698, Kidd and the Adventure Galley came across what appeared to be an India-built Armenian-owned ship called the Kara Merchant. Archival research, as we mentioned, that there you might hear a different name for the ship at times, but archival research has since confirmed that this is the correct name for the ship. Kidd flew a French flag as kind of a disguise for his own ship, and the Kara Merchant, even though it actually had an English captain, turns out, did the same thing, according to Mill's article, just to protect the ship. They thought, okay, we need to at least put the a face forward that we are French. French. Right. The captain of the Kara Merchant also sent a French gunner over to the Adventure Galley with a French pass or paper of safe conduct. And this supposedly convinced Kidd that this was a legit capture. This was a French French ship. ship. Totally fair game for him to attack. But it was only after capturing the ship that Kidd realized it was, in fact, carrying East India Company cargo and the captain was English. So uh, what is he going to do now? It looked like a French ship, but turns out it's not. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited and uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. (laughs) Yeah, you sounded so calm and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, Our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. Twenty Seven Club is a new podcast about famous musicians who died prematurely and sometimes mysteriously at the age of twenty-seven. This new serialized podcast is hosted by me, Jake Brennan, creator and host of the hit music and true crime podcast, Disgraceland. My new show covers the lives and sometimes mysterious deaths of famous musicians who died at the too soon age of twenty-seven. Season one will feature Jimi Hendrix, an artist whose short career burned fast and refuses to fade away. Jimi was born on the 27th day of November and died 27 years later. In between, he lived a fascinating and highly dramatic life filled with wild exploits. 
Just like Jim Morrison, just like Kurt Cobain, just like Janis Joplin, the Grateful Dead's Pigpen, Robert Johnson, Amy Winehouse, the Rolling Stones, Brian Jones, and others who will all be featured in future seasons of The 27 Club. Season one of The 27 Club podcast on Jimi Hendrix, like all seasons of The 27 Club, contains adult content and explicit language. You can listen to The 27 Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watch out for your ears. Well, at this point, the Adventure Galley crew was so desperate for some sort of loot that they ended up keeping it, selling some of it off, and dividing it for profit. So they went ahead with the plan, even after they <laughs> found back at this point. they found out they'd made a mistake. And after that, they ended up going to Madagascar, which was kind of a hotbed for pirates at the time. And there they ran into Kid's old crew member from his pre-New York days, Robert Culliford. Seems like the perfect opportunity to both catch a pirate, which was part of their mission, and get some revenge at the same time, right? So, well, yeah, that's what it seems like. And it would have been if the majority of Kid's crew didn't decide that it was also the perfect time to desert Kid and join up with Culliford instead. And according to Mill's article, they wanted to work for somebody who represented pure piracy, who they knew they knew where he stood, rather than some strange, half-cocked, hybrid version of piracy, privateer special mission. And if that wasn't bad enough, you know, losing your your guys to your old enemy, Kid's ship, the Adventure Galley, was also falling apart by this point. Yeah, he and the small remaining crew just figured it was a lost cause, and they decided to sink the ship and make the car merchant their main ship. Then they headed for the West Indies. When they reached there, though, Kidd discovered that the British government had declared him a pirate and he was a wanted man. According to Mills, part of what was behind this was that the car merchant's foreign investors were blaming the East India Company for what had happened. And England needed to protect the company's reputation. I mean, the East India Company, that's an important part of England's economy. They have to save face at this point. The other thing was that the Tories had taken over Parliament from the Whigs, so kids once very influential friends weren't as influential anymore, and they didn't want to go out on a limb for him. The king, of course, didn't even step up to He's admit not any involvement. Stick out his neck for a, a pirate, and right. pirate. So Kid thought that he could prove his innocence, especially since he still had that French pass that he had collected from the English captain of the car merchant to prove that he thought that the ship that he was attacking was French, at least at first. So he ditched the car merchant near Hispaniola and headed off to New York in a more discreet boat, because, of course, in this India-built boat, they would have been drawing attention to themselves all over the place in that region of the world. And he headed back to try to clear his name. By the time he got there, though, the rumor mill had already been working against him. According to an article by Willard Hallam Bonner, the rumors that were spread around this time about kids' activities and his associations with other pirates and his supposed treasure actually made it into official newsletters, works of journalism at the time, and informed a lot of what people knew about Kid for years after. And maybe even up until this day, some of those ideas are still mixed into the William Kidd stories that we know. Yeah, and that reputation definitely caught up with him. Kid was arrested. He was imprisoned in a colonial jail in Boston for several months. And then he was sent off to England, where he was locked up in Newgate Prison, which was a really horrible, dirty, disease-ridden 
forbidden place to be. And in the meantime, that crucial French pass that was supposed to prove his innocence was conveniently misplaced. According to Mill's article, it didn't resurface until the 20th century. And on May 8th, 1701, Kidd was brought to trial for William Moore's murder and for piracy. Yeah, and I mean, the odds were really stacked against him. He had to defend himself, basically, without any evidence because that French pass was missing. Basically, someone had to take the fall for the situation with the East India Company, and the trial was over by the next day. He was scheduled to be executed on May 23rd, 1701, with some other accused pirates near the Thames. And Kidd was supposedly very drunk when they were all transported out to be hanged, uh, which was a real disappointment to the prison pastor who had hoped that Kidd would repent and confess before dying. When the hangman tried to hang Kidd the first time, the rope broke. Kidd was the only prisoner for which this happened. They were all kind of hanged at the same time, and his was the only one. The rope that was holding him was the only one that broke. And while the hangman was rigging up a new rope for Kidd, according to the Encyclopedia of World Biography, he prayed with the pastor and finally repented. So the second time he was hanged, Kidd did die. His body was then tarred, wrapped in chains, and put in a cage that was strung up along the banks of the Thames for years after that as a warning to others, don't be a pirate. It does not pay. No. So the search for the car merchant and for kids' treasure, of course, began well before his execution, though. And according to Mill's article in Naval History, his old supporter, Lord Belmont, unsuccessfully sent a ship to the West Indies to try to track it down while Kidd was still in prison. That sounds like kind of a mean thing to do. I don't know. But it's generally believed that Kidd's remaining crew members burned and sank the ship after taking whatever valuables were on board. But that inability to find the ship is one of the things that fueled the treasure hunts over the years. You know, where where is it? Where could it be? Yeah, and since 2007, the Indiana University team has confirmed that the shipwreck found was indeed the car merchant. Incidentally, it was found about 70 feet off of the shore of Catalina Island and only about 10 oh. feet below the surface. So it, it's actually amazing kind of amazing. Amazing it wasn't found before then. Exactly. It was very, it's kind of strange that nobody found it before then. But last year, the underwater shipwreck site was dedicated as a, quote, living museum of the sea on May 23rd, which is, I think, the 310th anniversary of kids hanging. But there is one more thing to add to the story, and it's a conspiracy. So according to an article by Erling Ho in Geographical, at least one man, Isidore Pawanski believed that Kidd didn't die in 1701. He thought Kidd was able to bribe the keeper of the Newgate prison with promises of hidden treasure, and that's why the rope really snapped. Yeah, he just asked those questions. Why did the rope snap? Why did all of a sudden Kidd change his mind when he wasn't willing to confess and repent, and then later when he came out the second time, he was ready to repent and confess? So... Just Was there a switcheroo, potentially? Is that what he's suggesting? Yeah, he's suggesting that they switched guys and that the second guy was not Kid. And so he was more willing to talk to the pastor. 
Right. That, that's why his sentiments had sort of changed, because he wasn't, in fact, the same man at all. Mm-hmm. And Kid's widow, there's another aspect of, to this. Kid's widow remarried a man named Christopher Rousby in 1703 and moved to New Jersey for some reason, even though she had this big stately New York mansion, and it didn't seem like there would be any reason why she'd want to move to New Jersey. Piwanski believed that Rousby was really Kid, and he wrote a book to this effect that I believe was released earlier in the... 2000s, so kid needed to, or so. needed to get out of town. Maybe. Maybe so. I mean, you know, it's a maybe a long shot theory, but an interesting one to entertain just in case. And for... I, I always like it when we have the, the very slim chance, at least, that the subject of our podcast did not die. In fact, it's it's kind of Elvis-ish. And went on to have a life, a long life in Jersey. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. So um, it was definitely interesting to learn a little bit more about one of the most famous pirates. We've got quite a collection of pirate episodes now. We do. Well, we did uh, shipwrecks last year. We covered a lot of shipwrecks, and we talked about, I think, a couple pirates in that. And, of course, we've talked about Blackbeard and who else? Some lady pirates. Some lady pirates. Oh, that's right. Cheng Yi Sao and Grace O'Malley. So we do have quite a collection going, but there are still so many more. If any of you want to request any more pirates, you always know where to find us because we love to do those stories. We do. So we are at History Podcast at Discovery.com. We're also on Twitter at Missed in History, and we're on Facebook, all good places to um, share your thoughts, let us know about pirate issues on your mind, whatever. <laughs> and if you want to find out a little bit more about the topic we discussed today, we have an article on our website called How Pirates Work, and I believe it even covers modern piracy a bit as well. You can find that by searching our homepage, which is at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. going to Italy. After the success of last year's trip to Paris, we are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class. The richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Duman Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tuman.